Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. And today, we are going to continue where we left off in our last episode. This is part two of our two-part story on Adolf Rupp, sometimes known as the Baron of Basketball. We left off last time with the end of the 1951 betting scandal that rocked the University of Kentucky. Two of Rupp's players, Alex Groza and Ralph Beard, were convicted of point shaving back in 1949. It led Rupp to completely shutting down the basketball program for one year during the 1952-53 season. This allowed some distance between their past and their future. Taking the year off allowed Rupp to reset the program. All of his players had to transfer to other schools in order to keep playing basketball, or they could stay at Kentucky and just be regular students. But it allowed Rupp to recruit a whole new team. Rupp did what none of the other schools caught in the betting scandal could do or would do. Rupp set his sights on returning Kentucky to the top levels of college basketball. None of the other schools were able to do that. He saved the program and they remained a powerhouse team. But there was some fallout with other sports at the University of Kentucky. At the time of the scandal, the football coach at Kentucky was Bear Bryant. Yes, that Bear Bryant. If you were a fan of American college football, then you know that Bear Bryant won five national championships in football at the University of Alabama. But before he made his name at Alabama, he was the football coach at Kentucky. And the team was getting better every year with him leading the way. But the basketball scandal impacted his ability to recruit new football players. The basketball team made his job a whole lot harder because of the scandal and he was already considering leaving anyway. To put it one way, Lexington, Kentucky was just not big enough for both Adolph Rupp and Bear Bryant. One of them would have to go, and Bryant left for Texas A&M University before taking the job at the University of Alabama. If you were a fan of college sports in general, take a look at the prominent programs around the country. Very rarely does a school have a top 20 football program and a top 20 basketball program. It's almost always one or the other. The only time that a school has won both the basketball national championship and the football national championship in the same year was when the University of Florida did it in 2006. So that's really the exception, not the rule. But anyway, back to Rupp, and for this next little bit, I want to take a detour and go back a few years to 1948. He had just won his first national championship with Kentucky. That was also an Olympic year, and Rupp was the assistant coach for Team USA at those Olympics. Now back then, they selected the national team for basketball in a very unusual way. They staged a tournament in New York at Madison Square Garden and invited some of the best amateur teams from all over the country to participate. 
Back then, YMCA locations were still forming their own adult basketball teams and they even had their own YMCA national championship. The winner and the runner-up of that championship was invited to this Olympic tournament. Then, the Amateur Athletic Union, or AAU, was also still forming teams made up of adults who still maintained an amateur status. Many of these teams had former college stars and other players who maybe didn't go to college but were still really, really great players. The AAU had its own national championship game, and the teams that finished first and second were also invited to the Olympic tournament. Then, the Olympic tournament invited college teams that they thought were the four best in the country. And that led to a field of eight teams in this tournament. Kentucky was invited, of course, since they had just won the college national championship. What they would do is take the five starters from the first place team and the five starters from the second place team and put them together to make the Olympic team. Then they would take the next four best individual players from the rest of the six teams in the tournament and then add them to the Olympic team as well. The tournament was won by one of the AAU teams, the Phillips Oilers, or sometimes known as the Phillips 66ers, and they were led by 7-foot center Bob Curlin. Kentucky had come in second place. That also meant that the Oilers head coach Bud Browning would be the head coach of the Olympic team and Rupp would be the assistant since his team took second place. And then off they went to the Olympics to take on the rest of the world. They were able to play a few exhibition games prior to the start of the Olympics, and the two coaches realized very quickly that the Oilers players and the Kentucky players didn't play very well together. Mixing them on the court led to turnovers and bad defense since they both played such different styles of basketball. So the coach decided to play them as units. The Oilers unit and the Kentucky unit, with a couple of the other players just mixed in to give guys a break. The two units would take turns starting the game, and then the other unit would come off the bench. When they substituted, they would substitute the entire unit, so five players left the court and five new players came on. Browning would call the plays when the Oilers unit was on the court, and Rupp would call the plays when the Kentucky unit was on the court. It was a nightmare for other countries. They had to prepare for basically two different American teams, but it worked. There was so much cohesion on both offense and defense as the players would play almost exclusively with their own teammates from back home. Except for the game against Argentina, which the USA won 59-57, every other game was a blowout, including the gold medal game where Team USA beat France by a score of 65-21. to After having just won the college national championship in the spring of 1948, the five Kentucky starters were earning gold medals at the Olympics, and Rupp has said that it was his proudest moment as a coach. Now, let's return to where we were before this little detour to the mid-1950s, and pick up our story where we left off. At this point, Rupp has three national championships, and then wins his fourth and final national championship in 1958. That team was led by Vernon Hatton at 17 points a game, Johnny Cox at 15 points a game, and John Kreigler at just under 14 points a game. They won the championship game 84-72 over Seattle University, which featured Elgin Baylor as its star player. None of the players from that Kentucky team ever played in the NBA, which makes the victory stand out that much more. As many said at the time, Seattle had the best player, but Kentucky had the best team. At this point, Rupp had solidified his legacy. 
He was already going down as one of the best coaches in college history. He won the national championship without a single future NBA player. That's nearly impossible today. Now, as we move forward into the 1960s, this is the part of Rupp's story that starts to get controversial, and it has to do with the integration of college basketball. Up until this point, Kentucky had never had a player of color. For 30 years, every player that played for Coach Rupp was white. Many of the other universities in the southeast part of the country were starting to bring in black players to be on their teams. Teams from the north had been integrated for years. Kentucky was one of the last schools to integrate. Coach Rupp announced in 1961 that he would bring in a black player. But it would be six years before it actually happened. Now this is the part of the story that leaves me a bit confused, and I'm not sure what to think of Rupp in regard to this issue. If you look at just his actions, or lack of action, it would seem that on the surface that this guy must be racist. He doesn't bring in any black players when nearly all of his opponents had already done so. And it begs the question, what was he waiting for? In 1964, the best high school player in the entire country happened to be from the state of Kentucky, right in his own backyard. And that player's name was Wes Unseld. And if you know your basketball history, then you know that name. Unseld was NBA Rookie of the Year and an NBA MVP, and he won both of those awards in the same year. Yes, he was the MVP of the NBA as a rookie. He was a multiple-time All-Star, and he led the Washington Bullets to their only championship in 1978, and he is now in the Hall of Fame. And he was black, and back in 1964, he was the most sought-after high school player in the country. There was quite a bit of pressure on Rupp to get Unsell to come to Kentucky. He was a gifted player who could bring them another championship, and, of course, since he was black, it would meet both objectives of winning a championship and integrating the team. But on the day that Unseld was scheduled to visit the Kentucky campus, Rupp could not be found. Now Rupp says that it was a miscommunication as to what time the meeting was supposed to take place. And it's hard to tell exactly what happened. Everyone has their own point of view, but whatever happened, Unseld left with the feeling that Kentucky was just not that interested in him. What was probably closer to the truth is that Rupp didn't want a black player to be his star player and Unseld definitely would have been his star player. If a black player ever played for Kentucky under Rupp, that player would have to be a role player, preferably coming off the bench. When he was pressed on the matter, he would say that it wasn't him who had a problem with black players, but that the Kentucky fans might have a problem with it, and he was just looking out for his fan base. And that answer rings hollow because Kentucky fans wanted Unseld. Landing him was their best chance at another championship. So in the end, Unseld ended up playing for Kentucky's rival, the University of Louisville. But on the other hand, at around the same time, there were situations where Mississippi State University was invited to the national championship tournament, but kept refusing the invitation because they would have to play against black players. And Mississippi State University had a policy that they would not play against any team that had a black player. So Kentucky would accept the invitation on their behalf and they did this two or three times. Rupp didn't care who he played against. He just wanted his team to have a chance at the national championship. It didn't seem to bother him at all to play teams with black players. Also, back when he was still coaching the Freeport High School team in Illinois, he had a black player on his team, and there is no evidence that there was ever any issues or problems. 
So what do we make of him? To answer that, let's keep going. The whole issue of integration came to a head in 1966. Kentucky had one of the best teams in school's history, nicknamed Rupp's Runts, since none of the players were particularly tall by basketball standards. They were led by Pat Riley at 22 points per game and Louis Dampier at 21 points per game, both of whom are now in the Hall of Fame. Riley is in the Hall of Fame as a coach and Dampier is in the Hall of Fame as a player. They went into the championship game with a record of 27-1 and and they were the number one ranked team in the country. Their opponent that day was a small school located near the Mexican border in an out-of-the-way town of El Paso, Texas. That school was Texas Western University. The school is known today as the University of Texas at El Paso, and they came into the game with a 28-1 record and an all-black starting lineup. At the time, the players themselves didn't make a big deal of the situation. These were college kids just trying to make their schools and families proud by winning a championship. But it was not lost on the public that here was a team with an all-black starting lineup playing for a national championship, and they were doing it against Rupp's all-white Kentucky Wildcats. The coach for Texas Western, Don Haskins, maintained until his death that he was not trying to make any sort of a social statement. He simply started his five best players, and those players just happened to be black. He did have a couple of white players in the team, but they just weren't as good as the starters. Now, before I share the results of the game, I want to take a look at what Pat Riley says about the game and about Rupp, and his opinion carries a lot of weight with me. I've mentioned before that I am a die-hard Lakers fan. I was born and raised in Southern California, and when I first started supporting the Lakers as a child, Pat Riley was still the head coach, and he led the Lakers to four NBA championships during the 1980s. So, according to Pat Riley, Coach Rupp never said or did anything that would lead him to believe that Rupp was racist. He played for Coach Rupp for four years and maintained a relationship with him while he was with the Lakers as a player. So I will simply take him at his word. But I will let you decide for yourself what you think. It is not my job to tell you what to think. I try to do my best to present every story as honestly and fairly as possible. And while I will sometimes share my own views in the story, I want to make sure that I allow space for you to draw a different conclusion. I mean, we are all different people. We all come from different backgrounds, different countries, different socioeconomic statuses, and different experiences. All of that informs how we view the world. There are even differences in my own family. My mother and my father were born and raised in different countries from each other. And I was born in a different country from them. And my wife was born in a different country from any of us. So we all have different views on things because of how we were brought up. What is important to me is that despite these differences, we are able to still have respectful view of each other and have any communication between us remain cordial. So let's get back to that game. The Texas Western lineup started the game with a three-quarter court press and they were able to get a couple of early steals and fast break layups. From there, they just took off and won the game 72-65. to Their two big stars, Bobby Joe Hill and David Latin, were both unstoppable that night. No Kentucky team had ever been dunked on before as often as they were dunked on that night by Latin. This game sent ripples throughout college basketball. They knew that it wasn't good enough just to have one or two token black players. If you wanted to stay competitive, then you would have to begin recruiting the best players you could find, regardless of the color of their skin. 
that game changed the face of college basketball. And my plan is to do an entire episode just on that one game, but for today, I'm just going to keep this story moving. After this loss in the national championship game, Rupp would never have a team that good again. At this point, Rupp was in his late 60s, and the university had a rule that forced all employees to retire on their 70th birthday, which Rupp was quickly approaching. He kept coaching the basketball team until the very end. He hated the idea of having to retire. He asked the board at the university for an exemption, but they said no. They said it would not be right to allow him to stay on past 70 when they were forcing professors at the university who were still producing incredible academic work to retire when they turned 70. But Rupp wasn't one to take no for an answer. He even had personal friends speak on his behalf in front of the university's board. John Y. Brown was one of those friends. He was a very prominent Kentucky businessman and the future owner of the Boston Celtics. But the board still said no. Then Rupp brought out his best chance to convince the board to reverse their decision. He brought in Colonel Harlan Sanders. Yes, Colonel Sanders of Kentucky Fried Chicken fame. The guy who developed his secret recipe of 11 herbs and spices for his fried chicken. He was still alive and a personal friend of Adolph Rupp's. But even the colonel could not convince the school to allow Rupp to coach beyond age 70. So as his 70th birthday approached, the university announced that his assistant coach, Joe B. Hall, would take over as the new head coach at the University of Kentucky. Rupp was kept on as a basketball consultant at one half of his coaching salary. He was technically no longer an employee of the university, but an independent consultant. This meant that he could keep his office, hang around the basketball team, and just be available to help if called upon. But Joe B. Hall never really called on him. Rupp eventually got bored of consulting because he was basically being paid to do nothing. So he left the university entirely after just one year of consulting. The good news for him was that he made a number of successful investments over the course of his career and was quite comfortable, financially speaking. But without basketball, he would find little that gave him purpose. In 1976, about four years after Rupp retired, the team would move into their brand new playing facility, Rupp Arena which they still use today. Rupp was on hand for the christening of the new building, and he was presented with a blue recliner and received a standing ovation for all that he had given the university. And then about a year later, on December 10th, 1977, he passed away after a battle with cancer. A local friend and journalist, Russell Rice, was there with him to the very end. Rice asked Coach Rupp if there was anything he could say that would encapsulate his life. And Rupp said, Quote, just say that I did the best I could. That's good enough for me. Unquote. And that's good enough for this episode. Join us next week when we profile an NBA player who also played Major League Baseball and had a hit TV show. That player is Chuck Connors, and that show was called The Rifleman. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Also, go ahead and give us a rating and a review, and that will help others to find this podcast more easily. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. 
I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Lawiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. And don't forget to check out SportsHistoryNetwork.com for more information on my podcast and the rest of the podcasts on our network. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.